You're listening to the Beltway Briefing, a podcast from Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies with perspectives from both sides of the aisle. Now for political insight and strategy, let's get started with your hosts, Howard Schweitzer and Mark Alderman. Welcome back to the Beltway Briefing and happy December. I'm Caitlin Martin, moderating today's episode, and I'm joined as usual by our managing partner, Howard Schweitzer, and our chairman, Mark Alderman. Howard, Mark, hello. Hi, Caitlin. Caitlin. This is role reversal. It is. We've got um, Howard reporting from New York City. We've got Mark actually uh, joining us today from Milwaukee, the site of the Democratic, the site of the Democratic National Convention in 2020. We'll get a little bit, um, talk a little bit later about what you've been doing there, Mark. We'll get to in a minute, but um, and I'm joining here from Washington. So we're we're multi-location today. We are. Marvel of modern technology. Yes. So Caitlin, what do you got? Yeah, what are we talking about, Caitlin? Let's kick things off the way we have been recently with our fact or fiction. So Howard gets to answer his own questions. That's That's how this works. All right. (laughs) That sounds fair. Well, on that note, Mark, we'll we'll (laughs) kick it off to you first. Um, Fact or fiction? Well, today, Speaker Pelosi said, unsurprisingly, that the House is proceeding with the articles of impeachment. They're moving forward. Um, Fact or fiction? Despite wall-to-wall media coverage over the past couple of weeks, the average American does not care about impeachment. I'm going with fact with an asterisk. I think it's true that the average American is not following the wall-to-wall coverage. I think it's true that the average American is not holding her breath to find out what happens here. But I don't think it's fair to say that Americans don't care. I think Americans care very much about the integrity of the government. I think Americans are just too busy with their lives to follow this particular adventure. I'm too busy with my life to follow the particular adventure, and I work in Washington. I mean, Mark, I don't think the average American cares. I think that um, uh, the people that are pro-Trump are still pro-Trump. The people that are anti-Trump are still anti-Trump. And and the sliver of people in the middle, I think the Democrats are making a huge mistake on the process. They're moving too quickly. They're short-circuiting the process. They're not, they don't have the political courage to call votes and um, they're short-circuiting things relative to what's happened with other administrations, with other presidents that have been subject to impeachment. It is a, (laughs) it is an epic mistake. They're going to live to regret it. it. It is actually, look, I don't like Trump, but it is going to come back to bite to bite the Democrats, it's going to come back to bite the process. So it, I don't. It's, do, it's going to do a lot of damage. I don't even know where to begin with all the things you said that were wrong, but let me begin with one thing you said that was right, and, and then we can try oh, to God. correct oh. the record. It is, after all, your own question you're answering. It is. That's true. Okay. I think you're right that impeachment is not going to change anybody's mind. Nothing is going to change anybody's mind. That's why what matters is who votes in November. And that's why impeachment doesn't matter and isn't an epic mistake and isn't going to come back to haunt the Democrats 
we will have been through six more Trump scandals before the election. Impeachment will be a distant memory if anybody remembers it at all. And I think it's unfortunate. I think it's uh, tragic is what it is that it isn't going to change anybody's mind. I think it should, but it won't. So so we can agree on, on that much. But all that rhetoric about short-circuiting the process, an epic mistake, my goodness, the, the worst you can say, the worst you can say is that the Democrats, in responding to Trump's unconstitutional obstruction of congressional process— have had to short circuit the process. Mark, they my, would love to put Nick, Nick Mulvaney up there. They I, would love to put John Bolton up there. They would love to put Mike Pompeo up there. But the obstruction has has caused a short circuited process. I know that your mom taught you that two wrongs don't make a right. And one of the hardest things to do, I think she's taken his bait. She's It's like when you're when you're a you know a, a team that plays a half court offense versus a fast break offense and you try to play the other team's game she's playing his game yeah, and he's going to win you can't have it both ways how can it be that no one cares and it's not going to change anybody's mind but it's an epic mistake and he's going to win he's not going to get convicted we knew that before right, the we, inquiry so began so why not let the process play out why not have house democrats you know, work to enforce the subpoenas through the court system. Why set this arbitrary deadline of a House vote on impeachment before the holiday? Why not vote for a Supreme Court nomination in an election year? Okay. A lot of things don't happen in an election year the way they would otherwise. Yeah, that was a mistake too. Just uh, like it was a um, mistake for Harry Reid to get rid of the nuclear wait, option. Wait, wait. It's like, I'm it's waiting, like that. Howard, I'm waiting for Caitlin to acknowledge that Merrick Garland's uh, non-process was a mistake. I... It was a mistake. You're it the one, mi- Caitlin, who just asked me why we don't just let this run the duration of an election year. How I don't remember... We knew one another, right? We were working together. I think we've argued about this on another uh, episode of the podcast, Mark. We're talking about impeachment right now. I'm responding to your question about why normal process isn't appropriate in an election year. And I was citing to you the epic. I love Howard's adjective. It's also Ethan Alderman's favorite adjective, by the way. The epic mistake of uh, unconstitutional uh, for that matter, of Mitch McConnell not allowing a vote. It's an election year. It isn't going to matter. I actually think that I I, I completely agree with where you're coming from, Mark, from this perspective. Once you do something like what they did with Garland, once you do something like what Harry Reid did on the nuclear option, once you change the impeachment process and short-circuit it, that's you can never walk that back. That's the way government works. And it forever changes things. And it's it's destructive. And I know Trump is destructive in so many ways. But it's Nancy Pelosi's obligation to hold the line and not to take the bait. So you're saying... For political wait, expediency, wait, wait, wait. 
It is Nancy Pelosi's obligation to conduct this inquiry. It's Nancy Pelosi's obligation to I mean, vote articles of impeachment. So if what your criticism is, is of the speed with which she is moving, that's something to debate. But the predicate for that, I strongly, passionately agree with. I'm just surprised to hear you saying it. I'm waiting, by the way, Caitlin, for your answer to the Merrick Garland question. But Howard, if you're saying that this is the constitutional obligation of the United States House of Representatives, I completely agree. Completely agree. <laughs> okay? And maybe they are doing it imperfectly, but at least somebody in Washington is attempting to uphold an oath of office. Now, what I was saying, as you know, is that if you're going to hold an impeachment, she has, and it's not a legal obligation, it's not a constitutional obligation, she has a precedential obligation to to do it in the right way, and she's not. And that's going to come back to bite some Democrat down the road. It, it undermines the system, and it's playing the game on his field, and that's not good. And I don't think it'll be good politically in the end either. Because I think the independence, the sliver of people in the middle, I, I do think, I do think, I don't think people care about impeachment, but 2020 is all going to be about Trump trying to present this as having been railroaded. And, and he's got the mic and, oh, I, I, 100%. The people in the middle know that he has obstructed justice. Nobody actually, you and Caitlin know that he has obstructed justice. You can quarrel about what to do with that fact. But everybody listening to this knows it's a fact. And if you know he has obstructed justice, you're really hard pressed to decide you're going to vote for him because the House acted too quickly in an election year. Don't don't agree. Strong disagreement, Caitlin. All right, Mark. What about what about the inquiry? Let's talk about that. We're Wait, hearing is this another with, fact or fiction. No, uh, this is a follow up to to the process. We're hearing that. Does it um, include an answer to the Merrick Garland question? I'm not touching that on the t today. <laughs> Thank you. Um, the House Judiciary Committee. We're hearing uh, we're hearing that some Democrats want to broaden the inquiry. They want to talk about his tax returns. They want to talk about his tweeting. They want to talk about the emoluments clause. What are your thoughts on if would Democrats be getting out a little bit over their skis? Should this be a very targeted inquiry or do you think all of those, the process should play out and all of those conversations should be had? I think because of the massive, really unlimited scale of corruption and unconstitutional behavior by this president, you have to narrow the inquiry, you have to focus it, or it will last until the election and beyond. So no, I, I think that the speaker is both doing her duty, he made her do it. If you want to talk about him winning, Trump wanted to get impeached for political purposes. I don't think when he was making that call to the president of the Ukraine, he thought, wow, this is my opportunity. But he pushed and pushed and made her do it. And she's doing her duty. And her duty is to do it, I believe, narrowly, because there is no opportunity in the time left on the calendar 
before the election to investigate all of the corruption of this administration. And you know it and I know it. Well, and he's certainly been fundraising off of it as well. So I, I agree with what you're saying about sort of baiting her into this process. Um, our second fact and fic- or fiction question, which we've sort of already touched on, which Howard was very adamant on, that is the House running a fair impeachment process that's in the long-term best interest of the country? I think we've sort of touched on that. Howard, do you want to add any additional no. points on <laughs> impeachment? No, I want to talk about something else. Some substance, maybe let's, what might actually happen in Washington over the next about couple that. of weeks. Let's talk about that. Okay, so we've got 12 legislative days left until government funding expires. Um, We've got a critical U.S.-Mexico-Canada trade agreement that needs to be, one, agreed upon. Um, We haven't even seen legislative text yet. And two, voted on in the House. And, you know, as we just discussed, we've got impeachment looming. Fact or fiction? um, You know, does the business of Washington stop around impeachment? Or what, what can we get done in these you know, remaining couple of legislative days before the end of the year. It's are things grinding to a halt? These are not grinding to a halt. I mean, it's unbelievable. You know, I was on the Hill yesterday, plenty of stuff happening, meetings going on all over the place. No one, I mean, yes, impeachment, I guess, is on in some congressional offices. They're kind of watching it, but they're much more interested in what's happening on, on the floor and what's affecting their constituents. And the business of Washington is not grinding to a halt. It's like total fiction that people think that's going on. It's in the background, but it's like, it's noise and and things are, things are happening. This is a media creation. It is like, look at the front, look at the homepage of the New York Times and the Washington Post. Look at, look at the homepages of, you know, the LA Times and and the Minneapolis Star Tribune. It's like outside Washington and the East Coast bubble, nobody cares. And life goes on. And even in even inside Washington, nobody cares. Like it's a it's a process that's going on and everybody's issues continue. And it's just not it's not as dominant as people think it is. I think that's more right than wrong. That's as far as I'm willing to go with one of Howard's answers. That's more right than wrong. I think it is certainly true, completely true, that the government has not ground to a halt over impeachment. First of all, there's a lot of government that isn't involved in it at all. And even the principals in it are still doing their their day job. Howard couldn't be more correct about that. I think, though, that in terms, Caitlin, of getting stuff done, I think two things. Number one, and and this is deep in the weeds, but as as you both know, there are only so many floor days when you can actually legislate, and impeachment isn't going to shut down legislation but it is going to rob some time that could otherwise be used yeah. to actually govern. The other thing, though, is that X of impeachment, it's just hard for this Congress to agree on on something. I think they'll yeah. figure out how to get keep the government open. I think they'll figure out what to do with the with the treaty. But the the real shame mm-hmm. is that there are big issues where there is a remarkable amount of agreement 
and they just can't get to them. Drug pricing being right, Speaker at the Pelosi's top of my list. A, a bill on the floor, I believe, next week in the House. Yep. In in a different world, in in the good old days, pre-Merrick Garland, for example, you you'd get a bill out of the House. You'd get a bill out of the Senate. The Finance Committee, as you know, has agreement, grassly and wide, and have a bipartisan bill on drug pricing. You'd get both of those passed. You'd go to a conference, and something really big and really important would be addressed. That ain't happening. And it isn't impeachment alone that isn't that is causing that not to happen. The one big thing that I think is going to happen is the USMCA, which is the NAFTA replacement, the Mexico-Canada Free Trade Agreement. Now, the Mexican government is apparently uh, balking at it as well, but business cares greatly about this. And it's, I mean, there's a deep negotiation going on. Um, I I think it can happen. In fact, I was in a meeting yesterday with, with a very senior staffer on the Hill who said they're making a Trump sandwich. They're, uh, they're going to give him some bad news with impeachment. And in between, they're going to squeeze in Mexico, Canada and make it look like, I mean, they're on, they're, they're pretty aligned from a policy point of view, but the, the USMCA is the, is the middle of the Oreo. <laughs> they're they're going to give him bad news and squeeze in a little, a little good news as well. They they do want to look like they're doing something. And I think a lot of what Trump has been doing, his trip to Afghanistan, for example, his his He's perspective, NATO this week. Yeah, that didn't go so well, though. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it didn't go so well. It's Trump. <laughs> it didn't go so really? well. Um, but, uh, you know, he's going to look, trying to look like he's governing and we'll see where it all lands. It certainly seems to make it easier for him to, you know, carry out this narrative with the do nothing Democrats and and following the fact that things are, in his view, grinding to a halt and certainly helps play into his hand a little bit in that regard. Okay, third fact or fiction. And we will start with Howard on this one. Um, we celebrated Thanksgiving last week, and around your Thanksgiving table, you may have had family, friends, neighbors. Fact or fiction, there are still a lot of um, D- Donald Trump voters sort of lurking in the shadows, folks who maybe won't admit it at, around the Thanksgiving table, but who in the voting booth might decide to pull the lever for Donald Trump again, despite the impeachment inquiry, despite his rhetoric. Um, Howard, what are your thoughts on that? Well, Caitlin, I was in Florence, Italy, eating steak and <laughs> pasta on this Thanksgiving, well, uh, fortunately. So I didn't have a Thanksgiving table to talk to um, folks about it. All I had a good conversation with Jake, so that was yeah. that was very Wait, enlightening. This will be twenty twenty will be Emily's first presidential election, right? Correct. Correct. Um, I got. I'm pretty confident she's not a lurking Trump voter. <laughs> right? So look, I think. We all underestimated the Trump vote in 2016. I think there are still a lot of people out there who will pull the lever for him and won't admit it. And that's, I think, going to be a major factor come come the fall. And I think he's got control of the, of the narrative. But that's not news. 
we've known that since we didn't know it. We all missed it the first time. <laughs> but, no, but we've but, known that but, what what is just But remarkable. are they still out there? Yeah, sure. Sure, they're still out there, of course. What I is, think in uh, abundance. I don't think in any greater numbers than before. No. I think no. the net may even be a little negative for him. I think he has Agreed. lost suburban women, as as the polling suggests. But yeah, they, he it is remarkable, just remarkable to the degree you credit the polls, and they can't all be wrong every single time for three years. Here is a president who has never had the support of a majority of the country, who has never lost the support of 40% of the country, and who is who is essentially where he was the day he lost the popular vote and won the Electoral College. It's just crazy how with the avalanche, the absolute apocalypse of events that he has brought to Washington, nobody's changed their mind. Right. So where right. does that leave us in November then, Mark? Tell me who shows up to vote and I'll tell you who wins. No, tell me who the nominee is exactly. for the Democrats. Well, that, that will drive because the answer what? to the question. If the nominee three the nom- years ago had been somebody other, somebody stronger than Hillary Clinton, who, by the way, was on the Howard Stern show yesterday, huh. very enlightening interview. Right. <laughs> just to right. just to show you is where she running to. Did she announce um, her candidacy? I she did not <laughs> announce her candidacy, and I do not think is uh, is running. I think she's you know I don't think so. Um, uh, but I, I think if there'd been somebody on the other side, it might have been a different result. And well, notwithstanding that she did win the popular vote. Yeah, but again, to uh, channel your answer, tell me who different it was on the other side, and I'll tell you what happened. Uh, Elizabeth Warren substituting for Hillary Clinton is unlikely to change that, that result. Agreed. But Joe Biden would have, I think, Joe Biden, I think, would be the president now had he run we all understand the tragic reasons that he didn't and couldn't but i still think he's going to be the president next time because i think he's going to win the nomination and i think he's going to bring out enough people in a close election anybody who thinks that biden or or anyone else that obama anybody who thinks that anyone can blow away Donald Trump and the Republican Party isn't paying attention to where a 40-something percent uh, chunk of the country is. Biden had a great moment today. He was doing a town hall in Iowa, and some guy stood up and started yelling at him about um, Ukraine and sweetheart deal for his son, and Biden, Biden Biden kneecapped the guy. A damn a, liar, I think you called him, right? Yeah, super strong moment. That clip is going to be played over and over again. It's the best, best Biden moment I've seen in a long time. And he um, received a pretty big endorsement today. John Kerry came out and, and endorsed him earlier this afternoon. 
I didn't I, see yeah. that, but yeah, he did. He did. Your guy John yeah, uh, endorsed well, him more, but I'm not sure that I would call that very big, Caitlin. But um, I, uh, it's something. It's something. Would have been bigger in 2004 <laughs> had, he, <laughs> had he withdrawn and endorsed Joe. But it's something. It 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 is still something. So, Mark, yeah. you're in Milwaukee. What's the uh, What's going on out there? I mean, I know you're talking to convention people. What's the... Well, the biggest news, of course, in Milwaukee is the Big Ten Championship. No, Big Ten Championship game in Indianapolis on uh, Saturday against Ohio State. They rematch. Ivanka Trump's there right now, actually, as well. Well, Indianapolis. Oh, okay. Is she going to the game? Not sure. (laughs) Doubtful. Well, yeah, unlikely. No, Milwaukee, of course, is going to be the uh, home of the Democratic National Convention in July of 2020. And I've been out here a couple of times uh, because we, in our group, are working with our clients to take care of their, their interests and needs at the convention. Tonight is in particular kind of interesting uh, our friend and colleague Patrick uh, Martin and I have five of the largest cannabis companies in the country here to talk about participating in the convention financially, politically, medically, and and otherwise. So this is something that uh, we are doing with our clients and we'll be doing more of uh, come 2020 uh, which is all of three weeks away. The uh, I can't wait for the conventions. Mark, you and I have been to a bunch of them as, yeah. as long as we've been doing this. You've been yep. to many more than I have. But I've been to every been... Democratic National Convention since 1976, but the only one where I emptied out a trash can and wore a plastic trash liner as a raincoat was with you, Howard. With me in Charlotte. That was was Charlotte. That was in Charlotte. But Mark, my favorite convention with you was the Republican convention in in Cleveland. I don't don't remember being there. I bet you don't. (laughs) But but I I have photographic evidence of you being in Cleveland for the Trump 2016 convention. You and Ted Cruz, I flew out there. Vague recollection of that. On a plane next to Ted Cruz. And I think you were more excited about being at the 2016 (laughs) convention than the senator from Texas was. But no, they're wild. I mean, Well, the Republicans are back in Charlotte, Caitlin. Back in Charlotte. They are back. Yeah. Caitlin will be there. I will. Take a raincoat. That's my advice. I will be there. (laughs) a raincoat. I'll be there. No, they're fun. I mean, as you know, like it's great. You run all over the place. You got clients, and you're connecting with people. It's like the world's largest networking event, and a million parties. And the convention itself is, just, for me, a total snooze fest. But it's all the events around the convention well, that are fascinating. Yeah, unless the the snooze fest part is is true what happens outside the hall is a lot more interesting than what happens inside the hall unless unless we find ourselves back in milwaukee in july with joe biden far ahead in the delegate count which he will be but not 
quite over a majority because of the apportionment process in the the primaries. I'm not, there is not going to be a brokered convention. That is not, that's a fantasy. It would be cool. Be a lot of fun. It isn't happening, but it is remotely possible that it takes a second ballot for Biden to win. And as you guys, uh, I'm sure know, but not all of our listeners may, the Democratic Party got rid of superdelegates on the first ballot. There are still superdelegates and they vote on the second ballot if there is one. So all Joe needs to do is not have someone else nominated on the first ballot and John Kerry and all of the other superdelegates on the second ballot will put him far over the top. Well, since our last call, this could be the final question, but we've had Michael Bloomberg enter the race and we've had Kamala Harris drop out. Does that impact your thinking for the convention? Does that How does that play, Mark, into the way that you've been looking at this? Big self-funder, you know, he's been running all kinds of ads he has been running tens of millions of dollars of ads. I think he has moved from two and a half to three percent in the polls. It it's not happening. It's not happening. It's impossible, nearly impossible, even for Mike Bloomberg to start this late and to run outside of the party in what is a party process. So. It's entertaining. He's not, I don't think, going to be a factor. Kamala dropping out was inevitable. She ran out of money. Others will as well and and will have to drop. It was kind of a spectacular fall from grace, though, because she started with a, a great launch, as we say. She, of course, famously in that first debate, rocketed to uh, the top. And then it it turns out, and this is a point that I, I will credit Howard with often uh, making as well, uh, it turns out you need to have something to say. It turns out if you don't have anything to say, you, uh, you can't raise the money and you can't stay in. And I think that's what happened to her. There, there just wasn't, there wasn't a message that people were listening to. Well, she changed it every seven seconds. And it's interesting, Mark, if you reflect back on, on some conversations you and I had maybe six, seven, eight months ago, we talked with a bunch of folks when we were out in California who are Calif- you know, staunch California Democrats, very involved right. in Democratic politics out there, told us there's no way she's going anywhere. Like, watch, watch told, her flame out. Told, told us. You and- told us there's no way she's going anywhere and told us Joe Biden was going to win the California primary. Right. And they're, they're already half right. And I think on super Tuesday, they're probably going to be a hundred percent. Right. Oh, it, it's why you have to be on the ground. It's why Mark, it's why you're in Milwaukee and not talking to people over a conference line. It's why I'm in New York for the Pennsylvania Society, because (laughs) every year the who's who of Pennsylvania meets at the Pennsylvania Society annual event in New York. You still have to explain that to me. Ten years later, I still haven't figured out why 
the Pennsylvania Society meets in New York City. But I, I think we will do an entire podcast on that. <laughs> on the Pennsylvania Society? Yes. Yeah. No, you Maybe have so. to be boots on the ground where people come from. You have to talk to people who know these people, who've seen them their entire careers. Right. It, you cannot, it's not CNN, MSNBC, you know, nonsense from afar at the end of the day it's well it might be in new york city howard but right who are these nor is it by the way it's not cnn msnbc but it's it's not social media either of course it's not the the twitter verse there has been uh, i doubt that either of you follows it as closely as i do but if you try to follow democratic politics on twitter you think that either Elizabeth Warren or Bernie Sanders is already the president. And you think that and Joe Medicare Biden, for all is the silver bullet when it comes to healthcare policy. Right, right, right. Exactly. And yet stubbornly the actual members of the party and voters in the primaries are are not gonna be nominating either of them. And Medicare for all is not even getting a vote, let alone coming out of the house. So you're right, Howard, you got to, you got to talk to the people who are actually on the ground doing this work and you got to make your own judgment. The, the, there's almost nothing, almost nothing that I think Donald Trump is right about, but I do think he has somewhat of a point about the mainstream media, the all of the media trying to substitute its own judgment, whatever that might be, for the the judgment of the voters. And that's something that Biden has been a little bit the the victim of. But I'm happy to hear he had a strong day in Iowa. Oh yeah, he cleaned this guy's clock. Yeah. yeah. Good. I've been telling you in these podcasts, you are underestimating the guy. No, look, the He's problem stronger, is stronger the, than you think. The problem is that he can't do that on the big stage. Well, he's not younger than you think, but he is stronger than you think. But not on the big stage. I mean, you and I've had this debate. We'll have it for another several months, but T- um, this was fun. All right. TBD. Mark. Go. Uh, I want to leave you with, with this thought. Go Badgers. Where everybody here is rooting for Listen, Wisconsin to beat Ohio State. They're playing Ohio State. I'm all in for the Badgers, but I wouldn't hold out a happening. lot of hope, Badgers. No, it, it ain't happening. Well, thanks, you. Mark. Thanks, Howard. Appreciate Caitlin, you joining you. us today. Thanks, Caitlin. And thanks, we'll be Mark. back next time. Great. All right. Talk See you guys soon. in New York. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Beltway Briefing. If you liked our show, subscribe on iTunes or Spotify. And while you're at it, drop us a rating. To learn more about the Beltway Briefing or Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies, please visit our website at copublicstrategies.com.